continuing with our series, Asking for a Friend, with the first question that uh, you have gotten from your friends. How can we trust the Bible is really God's word and not just a book written by men? These are questions that uh, we've all collected from people that we know who are curious and have these kinds of questions, and we want to take some time between now and Easter to answer some of those. And if you find uh, a worship guide laying around the room, there all the questions are printed for the remainder of the series, so you can know uh, not when to come, but come from all, but what you're going to hear when you come, and uh, people you may invite that may be interested in understanding that topic from a biblical perspective. And so... Uh, we invite you to come and bring friends, or at least if these are questions you got from your friends, then you know uh, when to tell them to listen to the podcast or go to the website and find the sermon so that you can continue these conversations with them. Uh, last week, we looked at why do we even go to the Bible to answer questions about life, and then once we do, how do we understand the Bible in a way that doesn't abuse the Bible and just make the Bible a tool to, to say whatever we want to say, to carry our will and agenda? But how do we understand the Bible where we're submitting to it and, and gleaning what God has for us from the scriptures? And we worked with the assumption last week that the Bible is actually the word of God. It's a book unlike any other book in all of cultures and all of humanity. How do we know that, though? What confidence can we have that it isn't just a book written by men trying to consolidate power or control people, which is some of the theories that are out there about what the Bible is if you don't believe it is the Word of God. So we're going to walk through some questions that help us answer this big question, how can we trust the Bible is God's Word? First, who wrote the Bible? Who wrote the Bible? In a nutshell, God through men of God. That's who wrote the Bible. God wrote the Bible through men of God. Jesus told his disciples the night of his arrest in John 14, I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. So I'm speaking to you now, Jesus says, but when I'm gone, the Holy Spirit's coming and he's going to remind you of all these things, which would help you write these things down to be passed on from generation to generation. Peter gets a little more explicit in 2 Peter 1, 20-21. Above all, you know this, no prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, yes, the Bible was written by God through men of God, including kings, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, a doctor, scholars, about 40 men over about 1,400 years. Unlike any other book, it is a collection of books written by God through men of God. But it's not a co-authorship, so sometimes you pick up a book in the bookstore and it you know, co-authors John and Mary or whatever. Two people working together to write one book, and maybe they take turns writing chapters or they collaborate on each chapter. That's not the idea behind God and man writing scripture. Um, the Bible's not exactly like that. It's also not God dictating word for word for what man to say. So, so the, the man was just an instrument to write down exactly what God said. That, that's the Islamic understanding of the Quran. That's not what the scriptures are. It's not God giving ideas and, man, you just put them into words. Here's a vision. You just write what you think I'm trying to say. It's not also that. It's a little bit of mystery to what it actually is. The Bible was written through what we call divine inspiration. There were a variety of ways this happened, but essentially at some point in time, scripture was put on papyri or animal skins or some type of scroll 
and God spoke and men wrote. It could have been God speaking to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is telling his scribe what to write down, which is how Paul did things. It could have been Moses in the, in the, in the wilderness writing down the first five books of the Bible or, or David writing down the Psalms. It might have been uh, Samuel as in the office of a prophet writing as a prophet or Daniel writing as a special servant of King Nebuchadnezzar, King Darius, Paul writing in prison, Peter writing on a boat. However and whenever it happened, God spoke and men wrote. Some authorships of the book or the books are easily known. They identify themselves or they are identified. Sometimes it's much harder and we have to go back and read how the early church viewed who wrote what book. The Bible was written in such a way that the personalities and characteristics of the men came through their writings. So you see this in the first five books of the Bible. Moses, who grew up in Egypt, was trained in the finest schools in the world during that time. So when Moses writes the first five books of the Bible, and he's including poetry, historical narrative, covenantal treaty language, religious ritual laws and regulations, you see this incredible intellect and education of Moses coming through the first five books of the Bible. David, who's described in the Bible as a man for God's own heart, of course, he would write the Psalms full of emotion and, and imagery and feelings and depth of the despair and depths of joy and, and the heights of joy that we would experience emotionally. Amos was a farmer. So Amos is written in a very common everyday language of everyday people. You don't really get that in the English translation. If you know the Hebrew, apparently you can get that. Um, but it, it's just the normal everyday language of everyday people. You see this, the wisdom of Solomon, the wisest man who lived other than Jesus, coming through the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, this incredible wisdom that God gave him about how to apply the truth of God to everyday life. So while being completely from God, it was written through the individual personalities, vocabularies, literary styles, conscious desires of the biblical writers. It was written through human languages, Hebrew, Greek, and a little bit of Aramaic. Is written through human literary forms, narrative, poetry, parables, metaphors, allegory, hyperbole. Contains human perspective, thought patterns, emotions, interests, cultures, and, and uses human sources to gather materials as well as God to bring to mind what he wanted to write. So you have the uh, doctor, Luke, who tells Theophilus in the opening ch- uh, verses of Luke, Oh, Theophilus, I've investigated and I've examined and I've asked tons of questions of tons of people to give you this accurate account of who Jesus was and what Jesus did. Luke is a phenomenal historian. But through it all, the final product was and is the Word of God. Listen to a few ways the Bible describes itself. And there's passages for all of these. Inspired by God, the very words of God, all we need to know God, a perfect guide for life, pure, true, trustworthy, perfect, effective, powerful, not to be taken from or added to for everyone, the standard by which all teaching is tested, to be obeyed, sweet like honey, a lamp to guide our life, food for our soul, a fire that purifies and a hammer that breaks us, a sword, a seed for salvation planted in us, milk that nourishes us, the word through which we are born again." The Bible was written by God through men of God in such a way that what we have today is the very word of God. And then how was that put together? How was it collected? That's what was happening in those particular moments in time where it was actually being written down. But how was all of that put together? Well, what we have in the Bible, we call it a book, but it's really a collection of books, 66 books. So we have really a mini library 
Over about 1,400 years, each of these books were written and collected and put in one book that we call the Bible. It took time, but through it all, you see the hand of God not only ordaining which books were included, but which books were excluded and ultimately preserving all of the scriptures. So God oversaw the writing, collecting, canonizing, we'll talk about that in a minute, and preservation of the Bible. So let's go through all of that. The first instance we have of anything being written by God was God writing the Ten Commandments. You can read about it in Exodus 20. God literally wrote them with his finger sometime around 1400 B.C. The Old Testament, the last Old Testament scriptures were written by Malachi around 435 B.C. So you have basically over a thousand years the Old Testament being written. We don't know exactly when or how it was all written, like we think Moses wrote the first five books uh, as the Israelites wandered through the wilderness before they went into the Promised Land. Some parts of Jeremiah were Jeremiah dictating to a scribe what should be written down. But all of these books that were written, they became what we know as the Scriptures. And the recognition of these books as the Word of God came from the people of God immediately after they were written. So this wasn't determined hundreds or thousands of years later by a committee sitting in a room separated from when it actually happened. It it was happening when it actually happened. God's people recognized immediately these are the words of God. And it helped when the prophets were saying some things like, Thus saith the Lord. I am telling you, this is straight from God. And they would record it and write it down and have it preserved. It was always God speaking to the hearts of his people that they knew these words were his words. Some, some examples of his people recognizing these words as his words. In 2 Kings 22, you have a king of the southern kingdom of Judah. So Israel, after King David and then King Solomon ruled, was split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom, ten tribes, the southern kingdom, two tribes. And eventually, over time, 722 B.C., the northern kingdom is conquered by the Assyrians, and they're scattered all over creation, and then repopulated with a mixture of people from all lands. They became the Samaritans. And then you have the southern kingdom that was made up of two tribes that remained as it was for about another hundred years until Babylon came in and conquered them. And they had a mixture of good kings and evil kings. Well, King Josiah, 2 Kings 22, is a good king. And it tells us in 2 Kings 22 that Josiah, around 620, 610 B.C., they're cleaning out the temple, and they find a collection of scrolls that had been stashed or hidden by somebody. These were the books of the law, the first five books, five books of the Old Testament. They had been hidden or stashed away during the reign of the previous king, Manasseh, who was an evil king, a horrible king did not love God, did not seek to obey God. But now under a good king, they were found and recognized as being the word of God. These scrolls were read. The king and the people repented of their sins in response to the word of God, and there was widespread religious reform and revival throughout the nation of Israel. The point being, the people of God recognized the collected scriptures at that time as these are the words of God. We respond to these words as though we're responding to God. Same thing. Manasseh destroyed them or tried to because he also knew what they were. But a priest had hid them, stashed them away in a secret room because he knew what they were. So they would be preserved. Fast forward. The southern kingdom of Judah is defeated by Babylon. They're taken into exile in Babylon for 70 years. They're allowed to return and rebuild the city, the walls, the temple. And after some time, they gather to worship. And you read in Nehemiah 8, 
They gathered the, uh, they gathered the people, and Ezra read the book of the law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. They stood and listened to him read and explain, basically preach from morning to midday, like six-hour sermons. And then they fell down and worshipped God. Again, the people of God hearing the word of God and responding to the word of God equal to God. This is God's word. We cannot just sit silently. We have to respond to repentance and renewing our hearts. They also recognized when God stopped speaking or when there wasn't an authoritative voice speaking for God. So Josephus, the greatest Jewish historian in the first century, greatest Jewish historian maybe of any ancient era, Josephus was not a follower of Christ. He was not a believer. He was just a good Jew who was a good historian. He recognized that no more words of God had been added to Scripture since Malachi in 435 B.C. So God stopped speaking to his people in 435 B.C. through the prophet Malachi, and you have this 400-year period until John the Baptist shows up. He's actually the last Old Testament prophet. He's the first one to come along after Malachi and speak the words of God to the people of God. And Josephus, a non-Christian Jewish historian, recognized that. Jesus also helps us to see the boundaries of the Old Testament when he says in Matthew 23, 35, so all the righteous blood shed on the earth will be charged to you, talking to the hypocritical Pharisees, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Now, Jesus is condemning the Pharisees of being hypocritical, false religious leaders. He's lumping them in with other people in the Old Testament who have always persecuted God's people. Just like the blood of Abel all the way to the blood of Zechariah. So how does this help us to see the boundaries of the Old Testament? Well, first of all, you have to understand in Jesus' day and even today among Orthodox Jews, the Jewish Bible is not arranged like our Bible. Our Bible is arranged by genre, the Old Testament. So you have books of the law, you have uh, books of history, the writings, you have books of wisdom, and you have books of prophecy. In the Jewish Bible, they're arranged chronologically according to time. And so you have uh, the books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. You have books, the eight books of the prophets, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings. So they, they also don't split their books like Samuel and Kings into 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings. It's just one book. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the 12, those are the minor prophets. They're minor because they're short. And then you have the 11 books of the writing, Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Song of Songs, Ruth, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, Esther, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah. And the last book chronologically in the Old Testament is Chronicles. Now, the story of Abel is found in Genesis 4. Where do you think the story of the blood of Zechariah is found? 2 Chronicles 24. So Jesus is referring to the murder in the first book of the Hebrew Bible and a murder in the last book of the Hebrew Bible. And it would be like us saying, in effect, this is from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus affirming these are the scriptures of his day. New Testament hadn't been written yet. So in Jesus' day, these were the scriptures. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, from Genesis to Chronicles. Jesus is drawing lines around the Old Testament, saying this, these are the scriptures. This was not debated in Jesus' day. The fact that the 295 times the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, no other book is quoted as divine authority, even though there were other books and other writings. It was understood by everyone what was considered the scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. So the Old Testament, written over about a thousand years, even before Jesus arrived, it was recognized as God speaking differently from anything else that's out there. 
And this was confirmed by Jesus and the rest of the New Testament. So what about the New Testament? Well, it was written over a much shorter period of time, over about 40 or 50 years, after Jesus died, up until about 100 A.D. And even as they were writing it, the writers of the New Testament recognized that what they were writing is equal to what had been written in the Old Testament. There's a couple examples of this. 2 Peter 3.16, Peter is, is writing, he, he's referring to the Apostle Paul, he speaks about these things in all of his letters. Peter was fully aware of everything Paul was writing in his letters. There are some matters that are hard to understand. Duh. Peter's saying, look, I, even I don't understand everything Paul's writing. You know, this is difficult. This guy's a smart dude, and, and it's, it's complicated. Then he goes on to say, The untaught and unstable will twist them to their own destruction, as they also do with the rest of the Scriptures. So Paul is writing stuff. I don't even understand it all the time, but there are some people who take what he wrote and will twist and turn it to make it say what they want to say, as they've always done with all the other Scriptures, including Paul's letters. Another example, 1 Timothy 5, 17-18. The elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker is worthy of his wages. There the Apostle Paul says, quoting the Scriptures, and he gives a passage from Deuteronomy 25.4, and he gives a quotation of Jesus from Luke 10.7. This is what you do according to the Scriptures, what was written in the Old Testament Scriptures, and now what is being written in the New Testament Scriptures. These books we call the New Testament began to be passed around the early church in the first century with the intention to be read and shared, but there also began to be other religious writings showing up, some kind of helpful, some totally heretical. So when did the early church begin to specifically recognize which books were the 27 books that we call the New Testament today. Well, historians tell us between 140 and 200 A.D., the early church began to get very specific. Why? Why did they get specific? Well, most of the things the early church did when they began to clarify and get really particular about doctrine was not to have power or control people, but as in response to heretical ideas. A group of people coming in with false ideas about Jesus to try and change the gospel. So people who were questioning the full humanity and full deity of Jesus, the early church had to come out and say, no, he was truly human, truly God. Or questioning the triune nature of God. God is one in three persons. And they had to come out and say, no, this is how we understand how there's one God in three persons. It was the same with the scriptures. There was a guy, for instance, like uh, Marcion, who didn't like the Old Testament. So he takes his New Testament and just starts chopping out all the Old Testament references, which is a lot of the New Testament, Right? And the early church had to come along and say, no, 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 you can't do that. That's all scripture. And so here are the definitive books of the Bible. They had to define this so they would know which books to protect, which books to even die for in the case of persecution, and which books to use as the doctrinal authoritative books. There are a few other, along with that, that issue of Marcion, there's a few other unofficial mentions of the 27 books of the New Testament leading up to 367. An African church leader, Athanasius the Great, writes a letter, an Easter letter, and in that Easter letter, he mentions the exact list of 27 books. Just as a, not even the intention of the letter. It's just, oh yeah, also, these are the books that we're recognizing. About 30 years later, at the Council of Carthage, they would list the same books. 
But if you go back and you look at all the times this is brought up over the first 300 years of the church, every time it's mentioned, these 27 books are always mentioned. And it was either, yes, this book is definitely one of the books that are part of the New Scriptures in addition to the Old Testament Scriptures, or we think this is, we just need to verify a few things before we officially say yes. Unquestioned, these 27 books were always included. Now, all this recognizing which books were in and which were out, we call that the canon of Scripture. Canon means rule, the canonicity of Scripture. And what you need to know about the canon of Scripture, the 66 books that make up the Bible, they weren't decided by a committee, but by God's people and community. As they were being written, as they were being passed around. There were basically three standards that you would judge a book to see if it belonged in the Scriptures, specifically the New Testament. Number one, conformity. Did the book's teachings conform to the orthodox teachings of the church and the rest of the New Testament? Number two, connection. Was the book either written by an apostle, which would be the 12 apostles minus Judas plus Matthias plus Paul, or someone closely connected to an apostle? Some of them they weren't sure about. For instance, Mark. Mark wasn't an apostle. They had to verify and make sure, oh, well, Mark's writing through the perspective of Peter because Mark's with Peter all the time. So the gospel of Mark is the gospel according and through the eyes of the apostle Peter. Um, Jude and James, they were not apostles, but they were half-brothers of Jesus. The author of Hebrews, we still aren't sure who that is, but the teachings of Hebrews is so orthodox and paints such a crystal clear picture of who Christ is, the early church readily accepted it. And then the third standard, so there's conformity, there's a connection through an apostle, and then thirdly, circulation. From the earliest days, was the book widely circulated and accepted by the church? Were God's people reading it, seeing it as God's word, and passing it along as God's word? And all 27 books met that without a doubt. What about the other books? Well, there are books that were left out of the Old Testament known as the Apocrypha. First and second, Estrus, Tobit, Judith, the rest of Esther, Wisdom, Ecclesiasticus, just to name a few. In 1546, the Catholic Church said these books need to be included in the Old Testament. The Council of Trent, mainly because some of those books contain some of the teachings the Roman Catholic Church wanted to keep in place, to keep in the church, that aren't mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. The Council of Trent was the Council of the Catholic Church in response to the Protestant Reformation, where they were trying to to hold fast to who they had, keep things the way they wanted it. That's another issue for another day. The reason those books weren't included before then, and it was never really debated, is because those apocryphal books don't claim to be on the same level of authority as the Old Testament. They're not regarded as God's word by the Jewish community community who actually wrote them. Like, this is not the Bible, this is some extra stuff. They were not considered scripture by Jesus or anyone else in the New Testament, never quoted, and they contain teachings inconsistent with the rest of the Bible. There are things you can learn. I have a copy of them. You can look it up online. You can read them. There are things to learn. It's interesting, but it's not authoritative, not God's word as he intended to give his people. Those books were written before Jesus. What about other books written after Jesus? What some people call the other gospels, very popular on the Discovery Channel, the History Channel. Made popular by Dan Brown's book, The Da Vinci Code. Well, there's about 30 of these so-called Gospels. None of them were ever lost or hidden. That's just to get you to tune in. The early church fathers knew all about them. It wasn't like they, they weren't aware of them. They, they knew that they existed. They knew what they said. 
but they were not considered God's word at that time because they didn't meet the tests or standards of canonicity. They're not, not orthodox. They were not and are not and were not widely accepted and circulated by the church. They weren't connected to any apostle despite some of their names referring to apostles. Most of them were written long after the New Testament books were written. They promoted and were infused with heretical philosophies like Gnosticism, which says you have to have this secret special knowledge in order to know God, apart from the, the way God's already revealed himself through his Son and through the Word of God. And they would include crazy things, like the Gospel of Thomas ends with this. Simon Peter said to him, Let Mary leave us, for women are not worthy of life. Jesus said, I myself shall lead her in order to make her male, so that she too may become a living spirit resembling you males. For every woman who will make herself a male will enter the kingdom of heaven. Anybody want to include that in the Bible? What's the problems? Problems with that. This was not debated in the early church. They were immediately dismissed as heretical. Yet here we are 2,000 years later, we know better. Right? The arrogance of chronology. Well, what about books written by men who wrote other books of the Bible? For instance, we, we talked about this last year when we walked through 1 Corinthians. We in 1 and 2 Corinthians, we actually have Paul's second letter to the Corinthians and his fourth letter to the Corinthians. There's a, there's a first letter and a third letter that are referred to in these letters, but we don't have a copy of. So what if an archaeologist over in Palestine were digging around the dirt and they unearthed Paul's other letter to the Corinthians? Will we just say, well, stick them in the Bible? Is that what we would do? Well, it's totally hypothetical. But if God meant for us to have it, then why would he not have preserved it just like he did the other 66 books? If God meant for us to have it, then why wouldn't the early church have preserved it just like they did the other letters? F.F. Bruce said this in his book on the New Testament documents. Are they reliable? He said this. One thing must be emphatically stated. The New Testament books did not become authoritative for the church because they were formally included in a list on the contrary, the church included them in their list because the church already regarded them as divinely inspired, recognizing their innate worth and general, generally apostolic authority directly or indirectly. The books of the Bible were not declared to be the books of the Bible by a committee or council, but by God's people who read them, loved them, strived to obey them, and passed them along to other believers so the gospel would spread throughout the Roman Empire. That's how the Bible became the Bible in the first century, first few centuries. Who wrote the Bible? God wrote the Bible through men of God. How do we get it all put together? And then thirdly, was it preserved accurately? We got the right books. Did we get the right words? So we say we believe the Bible is inspired by God. They're literally God's words. We believe in verbal plenary inspiration. That means the actual words of God, verbal, all of them plenary, are God's word, inspired God breathed. We looked at that last week in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All the scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. It's good for us. The, even the parts of the scripture that are hard to read or boring to read. It's all God's word intended for his people. We believe that what we hold in the Bible is truth that flows out of the character and nature of God without any mixture of error or contradiction because God is truth and there's no error or contradiction in the person and nature of God. So his word, of course, would have that same character. Are there errors or contradictions in the Bible? In, in a word, no, but, but what do we mean by that? Well, we don't have any of the original manuscripts of the Bible. They have no first copies. They don't exist. In fact, we don't have any original manuscripts of any ancient work until much later in history. 
These books were written on animal skins, papyri. They cannot be preserved. And so in ancient times, there were these men who had this job, jobs called copyists. They gave their life to copy ancient documents and to do it really, really well with as much perfection as possible. And this was not just true of the Bible, but it's true of all ancient works. In fact, the entire process of preserving the Bible and passing it along to the next generation, we can have full confidence that what we have in our hands today is without a doubt exactly what God first inspired to be written when it was originally written. Let me walk you through some examples. The manuscript evidence of the scriptures. One way ancient documents are determined to be reliable is, first, how many copies do we have of old manuscripts? And secondly, how how old are those copies and how close in age are they to the original manuscripts? The more copies you have and the closer they get to the original manuscripts, the more historically reliable the manuscripts are. So there's a couple of examples from ancient history. Pliny the Elder, a Roman historian, originally wrote his works about Rome in 61 to 113 A.D. The oldest copy we have is from 850 A.D., 750 years later, and we have seven copies. And the oldest one is 850 A.D., the other copies may not be as old. Plato, the philosopher, Greek philosopher, he wrote in 427 to 347 B.C. The earliest copy we have is 900 A.D., 1,200 years later, and we have seven copies. Tacitus, much of what we know about the first century Rome came from people like Pliny and Tacitus. We wouldn't know much. Nobody was writing movies or blogging back then. Tacitus wrote in 100 A.D. The oldest copy we have of his works is 1,000 years later, 1,100 A.D. We have 20 copies. Aristotle, again, Greek philosopher, we have 49 copies of his work, 1,400 years, the oldest one after he wrote in the 300s B.C. Homer, who wrote Iliad and Odyssey, books we all have to read in high school, wrote in 900 B.C. The oldest copy we have is 400 B.C. 500 years later, we have 643 copies of Homer. That's pretty amazing. So what about the Bible? How does it stack up? I'll put it on a separate slide for dramatic effect. Written between 50 and 100 A.D. The oldest copy we have is only 30 years after it was written. And we have over 5,600 manuscript copies of the Bible. If you include fragments and portions of fragments and portions of manuscripts, it's over 25,000. It's ridiculous. Even non-Christian scholars will say the evidence is overwhelming. The New Testament scriptures have more manuscript evidence than any other ancient document. If we're going to call into question the historicity of the New Testament and the, and, the, and the Bible, we have to call into question the history that we know of Rome and Greece and Homer and Plato and Aristotle. And nobody questions that. Overwhelming accuracy. There's, in fact, there's a great story that, that dem- demonstrates the accuracy of the scriptures. There's a, up until 1947, the oldest Old Testament manuscript copy we had was from 980 A.D., so 1947, this little boy is wandering around the Dead Sea, and he's throwing rocks in caves, as little boys tend to do, and he hears something that sounds like he hit a clay jar. And so he goes to investigate, and he finds a collection of clay jars with hundreds of scrolls in them. Well, he eventually tells somebody, and those authorities come in, and, and they discover what has been historically one of the greatest archaeological finds ever, the Dead Sea Scrolls, like a true Indiana Jones moment. And they, these scrolls were from a group of Jews that lived around the Dead Sea, the Qumran community, around the time of Jesus, before Jesus and up until 68 A.D. And these guys were copying and writing down Old Testament scriptures and other Old Testament writings. 
And so think about it, 1947, the oldest copy we have is 980 A.D. This little boy finds copies that are a thousand years older. So in one moment, you go into a time machine that can show you how accurately was the scriptures copied and preserved over a thousand years. And as they began to unfold these things and, and study these things, they found the Bible had been copied at a 95% accurate level. The 5% discrepancies between the copies in 980 A.D. and the Qumran community were attributed to spelling differences, marks here and there, different ways they spelled names, uh, nothing of significant doctrine or theological purpose had been changed or altered in any way. Um, I mean, just people writing on scrolls with pens and ink and quills and no light, no electricity. Unbelievable. But it's the miracle of pre the preservation of Scripture. God spoke through men so we could know Him and love Him and had it recorded and then miraculously has preserved it for thousands of years so that we today can know God. We can know who He is. We can love Him and obey Him and follow Him and share Him with other people and say, this is where you find rest for your souls, in this God who created you and loves you. And life His way is full of His presence and His joy and His peace and His comfort, even through the hard stuff of life. And we can come alive in him through the proclamation of the gospel that's been preserved through the, the written word of God. Archaeology continues to affirm the historical details and facts. Every year, new things are dug up which only verify the scriptures. It's incredibly accurate concerning kings, nations, places, titles. Luke is one of history's great and most accurate historians inside the Bible or outside the Bible. Luke is phenomenal. They, they're continually amazed at how accurate Luke is in his recordings. John Elder, in his book, Prophets, Idols, and Diggers, said, Nowhere has an archaeological discovery refuted the Bible. But it's not just archaeology that confirms the Bible. What about Jesus? Like, we believe, if you believe Jesus is God in the flesh, so he is true, not deceitful, he, he really is who he said he was, he's all-knowing, all-wise, he is God in the flesh. How much did Jesus affirm the Old Testament? Well, Jesus referred to divine creation, the literal account of Genesis 1 and 2, Cain and the murder of Abel, Noah and the flood, Abraham, Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot, Isaac and Jacob, the manna, the wilderness serpent, Moses as a lawgiver, the popularity of false prophets, and Jonah in the belly of a well. He referred to all of that as fact. It actually happened. So either Jesus was ignorant, he just was fooled like everybody else, which caused us to question whether he really was divine, because we don't think of God as ignorant. Or Jesus knew those things didn't really happen, and he just was lying to everybody, deceiving people. Which also calls us into question the character and nature of Jesus. The whole thing collapses, and we're all fooled if that's true. But Jesus didn't try and deceive people. He wasn't ignorant. He demonstrated through his life, death, and resurrection his divine nature, and we give our lives for him to make him known. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't hard passages, there aren't apparent contradictions and problems. Absolutely. But when all is known that is to be known, the Bible will be shown to be true, accurate, without any error or contradiction, because it carries with it the character and nature of God. The only contradictions are not in the Bible, but in our interpretations of the Bible. Time and time again, we've seen this throughout history, 
well, this passage says this and this passage says that. That contradicts. Okay, let's dig a little deeper. And when we understand more of the situation, the history of the moment, the culture in which it was written, et cetera, et cetera, oh, well, there is an apparent contradiction, but not a true contradiction. Anne Rice, a fictional author from New Orleans, became famous in the 90s with her vampire novels, which were made into movies. Grew up in a Catholic home, but later in life became an agnostic and then an atheist. Eventually, she wanted to write some fictional history about the life of Jesus, some things that the Bible didn't record. And so she began to research um, the, the, the Bible. Is the Bible accurate? Is it reliable? And this journey eventually led her to embrace Christianity again. But she says in her book, Christ the Lord Out of Egypt, that the academic works and books which made the case that the Bible is not historically reliable were weak, she said. She said some books were of no more than assumptions piled on assumptions. Conclusions were reached on the basis of little or no data at all. The whole case for the non-divine Jesus who stumbled into Jerusalem and somehow got crucified, that whole picture which has floated around the liberal circles I frequented as an atheist for 30 years, that case was not made. Not only was it not made, I discovered in this field some of the worst the most biased scholarship I had ever read. Jesus said to his disciples after his resurrection in Luke 24, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, that's another way of referring to the Old Testament, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Jesus basically took time, this is after he's resurrected from the dead, to walk his disciples through the entire Old Testament to show him everywhere he shows up. I fulfilled this prophecy, I fulfilled that prophecy, I fulfilled this, I fulfilled that. The whole thing's about me. Why I had come and what I've come to do. Brother, sister in Christ, be greatly encouraged. Be greatly encouraged that what you hold in your hand, what you spend time in the morning or in the evening reading, what you get on your phone and open up an app to read with other people, is the very Word of God. Exactly as He intended for His people to have. And today, in languages and translations accessible to us as never before in the history of humanity, audio Bibles, you can have an Australian guy read the Bible, a British guy read the Bible, an English woman, an uh, American woman read the Bible, whatever you want. You can have famous people read the Bible to you. You can have the Bible set to hip-hop music, streetlights. It's amazing. And fonts and sizes and screen. It's unbelievable how much access. And all of it is God's Word. When you read it, it's exactly what God gave Paul and gave Moses and gave Peter and gave Daniel and David, exactly what he gave them preserved so you can know him so you can love him so you can grow in relationship and fellowship with him and his people if this is something that you've always questioned or maybe you've struggled with you've been a little bit skeptical about i would encourage you to continue to investigate let's talk after we uh dismiss this morning let's go have lunch let's continue this discussion and, and look at more stuff but i would also say this god is not a laboratory experiment God is a person. And, and I would challenge you, if you struggle with this, just I'm just, I don't know if I can believe this book is, is God's word. Just take it, open it, and say, God, if you're real, show me.
and start reading and see what happens. See what happens. Father, we are so thankful. You have made yourself known. You're not far away and distant and hiding, but you have put yourself on full display in creation and through Christ. And we have accurate accounts of who Christ is and what Christ came to do, to live the perfect sinless life that we fail at every day and to, at the end of his life, die on the cross for not for his sins, but for our sins, to be punished and receive the wrath of God, not because he failed, but because we failed. And then he rose from the dead, proving everything he said and did was true. And we have an accurate recording of that so that we may believe and come alive in Christ and know him and love him and follow him and give our lives to share his love with others. Thank you. May it be true of everyone in this room. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.